I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Tribute to mothers. Tribute to mothers. A man came home from work, and he found his children outside. They were all still in their pajamas or playing in the mud. Door of his wife's car was open. Front door to the house was open. Dog was gone. So he went into the entry, and he found an even bigger mess. Lamp had been knocked over in the front room. TV was on some cartoon. Family room was covered with toys and all kinds of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink. Breakfast food was spilled on the counter. The fridge door was open wide. Dog food was spilled on the floor. Just a mess. So he quickly headed upstairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes. He was looking for his wife. He was worried that she might have uh, fell ill or fell, hurt herself, something of that nature, or something serious had, had happened to her. So he was, he was concerned. And he was met with a small trickle of water. It made its way out of the bathroom door. As he peered inside, he found wet towels, scummy soap, more toys strewn over the floor, all kinds, hundreds of feet of toilet paper unrolled. Toothpaste had been smeared over the mirror and the walls. So as he rushed into the bedroom, he found his wife. She was still curled up in bed in her pajamas. She was reading a novel. She looked up at him and smiled and asked how his day went. He looked at her, and he was bewildered, and he asked, What happened here today? She again smiled, and she answered, You know, every day when you come home from work and you ask me what in the world I do all day? Yes, was his reply. She answered, Well, today I didn't do it. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln wrote this. He said, Oh, and I, I remember this when... Uh, Brother Hill was up here because he said, he wrote, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Now, Lincoln's mother must have had a great influence on his life, and perhaps more so than his father did. Mothers of the past did have a greater influence, and I think a lot of the reason for that was simply because mothers of the past was home. Uh, the, the man was the primary breadwinner, and so she was home. So they, uh, they, they had a, a greater influence than our modern mothers do because of that very simple fact. They never worked outside the home. And, and I can't help but feel for mothers today uh, because so many of them would prefer to stay home and to do their motherly things. The pressure of society of wanting to have more and to do more forces most mothers to have a full-time job outside the house. You know, the Bible speaks of mothers being keepers of the home, but in reality, in order to have a home to keep, mothers have to work. And so we're just, that's what we live in, and I certainly don't begrudge that, and I don't condemn anybody in any way for that. I realize the difficulties in, in all of that, and, and uh, it's sad because we see an influence that has been lost to some degree on our children because mothers have to get out. But today we, we want to honor our mothers, and of course honoring our mothers should be an ongoing thing, and we shouldn't do this just one time a year. I think we should do this all the time because of what mothers have to do. And there's going to be three different scriptures I want to use, thoughts that, that give tribute to mothers 
that we can really learn from. And, and the first one is in Romans 16 and 3. You know, in all, I, I was looking at this scripture and all the time that, uh, I, I can remember hearing preachers and tapes and, and, and CDs and having ministers here or myself, anybody, I can never remember this particular scripture ever being preached on. And probably there's a reason, but today we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this scripture. And it says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. This is Paul speaking to the Roman church, and he's telling them, I want you to greet Rufus. He said, I had chosen in the Lord. This man is chosen. He's called of God. But also, he said, I want you to greet his mother as well, because she has been a mother to me as well. So the Apostle Paul said that the mother of his friend Rufus had been a mother to him. No doubt she, she had concern for Paul. And I believe that, it, it, you know, we get to thinking about this. She was concerned for Paul. Paul didn't really have anything. He traveled from one place to the other preaching, and he, she could see that there was a need in his life. There was something missing there. So she tried to, to be a mother to him as well. Anybody in here ever had or could say that you had a second mother? Yeah, everybody has had somebody that, that's been a second mother to, to them. And, and this is what Paul was speaking. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you've had childhood friends who've come and stayed with you at, at your house before and their mother became that second mother to you. She, she did some nice things for you and you looked to her and you respected her and, and she was something special for you. And in the same way, you know, they come to your house, your mother would do for them, and you go to their house, and it was the opposite. Once a mother, always a mother. When a mother ceases to have children at home, she is still a mother, and she does motherly things. My, my wife is a, a mother to, and has been to a lot of people out here. And I see some of these young people, and I've been talking Wednesday night, I I preached on raising teens, and, and we, I'm going to do some more of that on this next Wednesday. And I, I, as I was going through that, I, I thought about some of the teens that fell away from God, but they didn't fall too far. And when things got a little hard, they came back. And it's because I feel like that, that not, and not just my mother, but some of the elders in, or my mother, my wife, but I said some of the other elder ladies in the church has been a mother to some of these and they know where to come back to. And that means so much. Never give up hope when it comes to young people. Even if they, I don't want them to fall away, but even if they do, we still, we still have an obligation to them to show them the love and attention that they need so desperately. Mothers, continue to mother some of these young people in the church. Continue to do that because uh, it is so important. They need it so desperately. And Elizabeth Edwards, mo- most of you are familiar with the story of John Edwards, Edwards who's the former U.S. senator from North Carolina. And she passed away from cancer. But she left behind not only her three children, but a grieving former nanny who says Edwards was like a mom to her, too. And she says, and I quote, she said, I lived with them for a lot of years, every single day. Heather North, a, a nanny for the Edwards family for five years, and, and she's my second mother. She, she helped to shape the person that I am. We love her dearly. She is an amazing woman. Now, you can imagine what a tribute that is for someone, a nanny, who could say that about the person that she was working for. 
she could say she was a mother to me as well. And uh, I, 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 my second mother by Scarlett D. Cleburne in Texas, and, and she, she wrote this. She said, teachers are like second parents between junior high and high school. I've had 36 different teachers. Of those, none have made a bigger difference in my life than a Mrs. Lisa Benson. She said, Mrs. Benson teaches accounting at Cleburne High School. And since the first day I met her, my freshman year, she has helped mold my future. As a freshman, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And the first day of class, Mrs. Benson discussed what accounting was and how it relates to the real world. The enthusiastic tone in her voice and the extensive knowledge of the profession made me become interested in accounting career. And every question I asked was answered with complete honesty and no sugar coating. At that moment, she said, I knew I wanted to be an accountant. The way Mrs. Benson taught also helped me to uh, choose the occupation, and she also never gave up on students who didn't understand. Mrs. Benson would always hear the student out, try to think of a way to word the lesson that would click in their brains. And she constantly listened to our thoughts and our opinions and made sure we felt like grown-ups. I found myself and still find myself often asking her for advice, her opinions, her personal life questions. She slowly became a woman whom I looked up to and admired. I felt like I could come to her for anything and really trusted her with my life. Now what a what a tribute this was to a teacher, and and what a what a tribute you realize that teachers who you know, Sunday school teachers teachers from the pulpit whatever it may be how much that you influence the life of people that hear you your actions your words you know how you live everything influences them mothers let me let, let me never n- never give up on well doing never give up on living for god and holding uh, holding a holy standard never do that because there are so many out there looking at you even though even though they may not be living the way you are they're watching you and they're saying if it works for her it can work for me don't ever give up on that so you know what a what a what a tribute Thank God for mothers who never stop loving, never stop giving, never stop caring, and never stop mothering, even when it's not their own child or their own children. The second one, a mother teaches a child obedience. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that I may go, it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If children are to obey their parents, that includes mama. In fact, sometimes mothers are more the disciplinarians. In some families, that's the truth. Now, in my case, it wasn't the truth. You know, that my, my mom always told my dad, and I got it from him. And uh, in my wife's case, you know, she was a single, had a single parent. She just had her mother. And uh, I've heard her say, and you've heard it said in here, and I have said it before, uh, uh, when she did something wrong, she had to go cut her own switch. I never, I, I never could have, I couldn't have handled that. That would have been tough. Can you imagine going out and cutting the switch? It's going to cut the hide off of your bones, you know. And you had to go out there. Of course, you would try to figure, you try to get the smallest one, and sometimes that's a mistake because those small ones will just cut right through you. It would better go out there and get something she couldn't lift. Oh, think about it. What did your mother's use on you? I can look at some of you out here, and I guarantee your mother's had to use something pretty heavy duty on you. (laughs) 
You know, and some people, I, one time in my life I had to, I had soap used on them. Anybody ever had soap used on them? Is that an, a thing that doesn't happen anymore? Maybe it's just to the really bad ones that it happens to. <laughs> I had soap used on me one time and that, that's all it took. I did not want any more soap. Not at all. I was reading a, an article in one of my hunting magazines, actually a fishing magazine. And I, that's, I brought that back to mind because it was telling you to use what kind of soap you can use to catch catfish. And a lot of guys on trot lines use ivory soap, bar of ivory soap. They'll cut a piece, put it on the hook. And they said it's not a matter of it smelling sweet. It's a matter that those fish, you know, they, they, they get a taste of this stuff and they come after it. That's hard to believe, but it does work. And I got to thinking, you know, catfish might enjoy that, but I certainly did not enjoy that one bit. <laughs> yeah, we all we all can look at that and realize that different things happen to different folks. A preacher said this. I read this article one time. He was 79 years old, and he said, Mom was left with four children when my dad died. We were 15, 10, 8, and 2. She didn't have it easy with us. Her main discipline was a strap which would sting, although it did it did uh, do a lot of good for us. I learned to cry right away because when you started crying right away, she would stop. So he instantly started crying when she picked up the strap. Uh, and she said she often made us go to our own room for a, what, what they call now a timeout. He said if we didn't eat something she thought was good for us, we went without dessert. I got to thinking about my own, we don't do that. I don't do that to my grandkids. They don't like what they want. We go to the dessert. In fact, sometimes we eat the dessert before we eat anything else. Sometimes that's all I eat, period, is the dessert. <laughs> so, so you know, and, and it used to be, he, he went on to say, he said, I had to eat things that made me gag so I could get dessert. Anybody remember anything like that? Ever eat anything absolutely what you thought you was going to throw up just to, in order for you to get something good? Uh, probably not. Now, the older ones probably did, but some of you younger ones didn't know anything about that. The mother of a problem child was advised by a psychiatrist. Said, you're far too upset and worried about your son. Said, I suggest you take a tranquilizer regularly. On her next visit, the psychiatrist asked, have the tranquilizers calmed you down? Yes, the boy's mother answered. And how is it your, how is your son now? The psychiatrist asked. And she said, who cares? <laughs> now that's not the answer to raising a problem child, folks. I, it just doesn't work that way. I'm sure there's some others out there who would like to have that solution, but that's not the answer. <laughs> Irma Bombeck wrote this. He said, when my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. <laughs> Someone wrote, I love to play hide-and-seek with my kids, but some days my goal is to find a hiding place where he can't find me till after high school. A mother teaches her children to obey because she has learned the lesson of obedience, obedience to her parents and to God. That's why we do this. And Proverbs 10, verse 1, it says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. 
Proverbs 22.15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Proverbs 29.15. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Someone said these insightful words uh, to mothers. They said, children are going to grow up, so they need to be taught to obey authority figures. They're going to have a hard time following rules, have a hard time obeying their boss, the laws of the land, and their government if you don't teach them. And when they'll be saying, and then they'll be saying the world is against them and wondering why everyone in society wants them to obey rules and their elders. Then you'll realize as a parent you failed to instill these rules and laws into your child when they were little. You let them believe, you let them believe that they were equal or better than everyone, including their bosses and the government, and you let them believe they didn't need to obey anyone. Mutual respect is not going to work with their boss. Folks, that just doesn't work. They will have to work and obey, and it will be hard on them because their mothers never taught them how to obey. You have to teach children, and that's a duty of the mothers and the fathers, of course, but mothers is what we're talking about this morning, to teach them that it's a necessity to teach them to be obedient, to listen because you will, you'll not go anywhere otherwise. And I've seen, I've seen it in many of you. If you've been in any kind of position whatsoever, being a boss and uh, out there in anything, you see people that come in that, and you have to be careful in hiring them because you can tell when they're not going to listen to you. They don't want to listen to you. You don't want anybody telling them what to do. They want to come to work when they want to come to work. They want to leave when they want to leave. And they'll never go anywhere. And if you have a child that is that way, they'll never, ever do any good in society. They'll never be able to keep a job, and you're going to be supporting them the rest of their life. It's hard. It is difficult when you you got, especially when your 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 children go to work for the first time, and they come back and they say how difficult it was, and the boss made them do nasty, dirty things. I had to do that. You know, I had to deal with that kind of thing. But you know, you learn. Uh, I remember one particular job. <laughs> I was, I, I I had it for a short time until I found something better. And uh, and the person made a statement. He said, well, one thing about you, he said, you did everything we asked you to do. I can tell you didn't like it, but you never, ever didn't do it. And, you know, there are some times that, you know, you may not be able to hide it on your face, but you do it anyway. You do it anyway. And uh, it's it's vital for that. And we have to teach them. It's the, it's the obligation, mothers, to teach those children how to be obedient to authority. And thank God for mothers who cared enough, who loved enough to discipline their children in order to make them behave and teach them to respect authority in life. The next one, a mother lives a life of faith. Second Timothy 1 and 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which was first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy's faith came at least in part from his mother and his grandmother. And you have to thank God every day for mother's faith. It was mentioned earlier. A lot of us are here because of mother's and grandmother's prayers. Well, a lot of us are here because of that. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I remember my mother's prayers, and they've always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. When Robert Ingersoll, he was a notorious skeptic, was in his heyday, 
Two college students went to hear him lecture, and as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? And the other said, no. He said, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life, and until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God because of his mother and the kind of life that she lived in. And I've, I've heard this story from many people. I've heard it from my wife many times when they, she said it was just the two of them. They lived on what her mother could make uh, on, on uh, babysitting. And she said there was a lot of times they didn't have, they didn't have money for food. They had to feed the kids. They didn't have enough. And she said she, her mother would let a lot of the people who brought their children in get away with not paying on time. And so somebody had to suffer. But she said her mother always made this statement, God will take care of us. And she said, I can remember as a child going out and actually finding checks in the mail. She said, just finding them. They were there because of that faith. That faith had quite an influence on my, on my wife. Uh, and she went, it came time for her to come to God. You know, that's the things that she remembered the most. It was her mother's God that she was coming to. And so, you know, she realized what living by faith really was. Four ministers were discussing the merits of the various translations of the Bible. One liked the King James Version best because of its simple, beautiful English. Another liked the American Standard Version best because it's more literal and comes near to the original Hebrew and Greek. The third liked the, the more modern New International Translation best. Fourth minister was silent. And when asked to express his opinion, he replied, I like my mother's translation best. The other three expressed surprise, and they wondered what he was driving at. Yes, he said. He replied, he said, Mother translated the Bible into everyday life. And it was the most convincing translation I ever saw. And that's exactly what people see in us. We have to be the ones who live it. We have to be the ones who show what we believe in our everyday life. It matters a great deal. I'm not going to read the, uh, it's not going to be coming up in front of, uh, you know, on the PowerPoint. But in 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, now this is a different translation here, but I'm just going to give you the gist of this. Um, now this is a story of Solomon and his wisdom with the two women. One had a dead baby and she took the living baby and, and this is that story. Now just so, so you'll have a little bit of understanding, most commentators believe that these two women were prostitutes. Uh, they believe this, and, and I, could, I could stand uh, with believing that could be the case. And so the, they came to King Solomon, the prostitutes, and they stood before him. One of them said, My Lord, this woman and I lived in the same house. I had a baby while she, uh, she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, the woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while I, while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says my, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. 
So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two, give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither, no, neither I nor you shall have him cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had the wisdom from God to administer justice. Now, that story has been told over and over, preached on, taught on. But a lot of times the problems with some of these what we'll call classic Bible stories We often learn the primary lesson, but we fail to see the rest of it. And we understand the primary lesson here. This incident is used of God to show that he had given Solomon the wisdom that he had requested as king, and it proves that wisdom comes from God. We know that. But the story also provides what we're going to call the morals of motherhood. And it comes from an unlikely source here. The first moral of motherhood from this story, there is no such thing as a perfect mother. No such thing. And I'm not saying this to drag mothers down, but to build them up. And I want you to get this. No one needs to be treated with more tenderness than our mother. Perhaps no one is more caring and conscientious than our mother. And sometimes we are too hard on them. Sometimes they are too hard on themselves. Some of you mothers really are hard on yourselves. Sometimes you carry all the load of raising those children and you feel like it all depends on you. And you, and, and we know that we have to set the right example, but sometimes you can get to the point where you feel like you'll never be good enough and that's not true. Not true at all. These two mothers in this story were prostitutes. Their babies were evidently conceived under sinful circumstances. And that, that grabs us. It, you know, it makes you sit up in your, your pew and take notice. It, it, it grabs you all at once. So why did Solomon, king over God's chosen people, even take the time to worry with two prostitutes? This, these women and, and the sinful men who paid for their services were living out of God's will. We know that. Solomon was concerned about these two women because God was concerned about them. And that's the case. God was concerned about them. It doesn't matter who you are and what your circumstances are. Never, ever doubt the fact that God is concerned about you and that he loves you. And he will always love you regardless of who you are. He will always love you. And I I don't have to convince you that the church should stand for moral purity. But the church should also stand for forgiveness and restoration. And I have a problem with I always had a problem with that. I'm not trying to get off what I'm doing here as a tribute to, to mothers, but I'm saying that we, no matter who we are, what we see, we are going to be forgiving people, and we are always apt to restore somebody. We need to always remember that. If we forget that, we forgot something that's very important, and it's a very, it's a very core of God's heart. Forgiveness. If he hadn't forgiven every one of us, we'd all be in a mess. If he hadn't restored me, I would have been in a mess. If he hadn't restored you, you would have been in a mess. Now, these women were not living up to God's ideals, yet he still loved them. And if any of us had to wait for God to love us based on our performance, we'd be out of luck, folks. Believe me, we'd be far out of luck. There's no such thing as a perfect mother. Just like there aren't any perfect ones among the rest of us. And if there's anyone in whom we should be willing to overlook faults, it should be our mother. Why? Because they overlook so many of our faults. So many. 
We need to lighten up on mom a little. Moms need to lighten up on themselves a little. Moms need to laugh and have a good time. And that should be today. And here's a few good laughs for you. I, I got some special things for you here. These are some experts from the children's letters to God. Now, these are excerpts. I said experts. Excerpts from the, uh, the children's letters to God. We've done some of this on Christmas before here. But these come from uh, letters to God. And it's a series. And these are actual authentic letters written by kids to God. And I'm going to give you a few excerpts from those. Dear God, I read the Bible. What does begat mean? Nobody will tell me. Love, Allison. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. (laughs) Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. There you go. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in this world. There's only four in my family and I can't do it. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. <laughs> Those were authentic letters, and they all make us smile. And just in case they don't, find something to smile about and make it a regular habit. Life is too short, and God is too good to go around frowning all the time. Everybody needs to say amen on that one. Here's another moral of motherhood from our story. God has answers for a mother's problems. Don't look for stress-free motherhood. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. From the pains of giving birth to the empty nest to grandchildren beyond, motherhood is stressful. Once again, this is not to mention or to discourage anyone. There is a good news. God is willing and able to assist moms in the problems that they encounter. God didn't give Solomon wisdom so folks could stand around the palace and say, ooh and ah. He, he gave his wisdom for a purpose. God not only loved those two prostitute mothers, he also loved the little baby in this story. God dispatched his wisdom to Solomon to save the child. Ever think about that one? With all the abortion that goes around? We need to think about it. He has wisdom to spare for parenting responsibilities today, and he can guide and provide for mothers in all kinds of life situations, single moms, adopted moms, stepmoms, moms with special situations, you name it. You name it. He can help you with it. He's got wisdom for it. Kids today have special needs. That's okay. God has the wisdom to give you for a a task. He can teach you what to do and what to say in every situation. Don't, don't, don't look at a situation that you have to give an answer to one of your children and think that you just simply don't have the wisdom. God can give you the wisdom right then. Sometimes it's just a matter of opening our mouth and beginning to speak. God just will fill your mouth and it'll, it'll happen for you. You know, it will happen, but you just, you can't be afraid of this. God never gave us a spirit of fear. If you're a mom, you can take care of the situation because God is on your side. 
And like the mom who was tucking her small boy into bed one summer night during a violent thunderstorm, she was just about to turn out the light when he asked with a tremor in his voice, he said, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. And he said, I can't, dear. She said, I have to sleep with your daddy. There was a long silence was broken at last by the shaky little voice, the big sissy. Number three, there's nothing like a mother's love. The real mother in this story would rather see another woman raise her child than to see it split in two. You have to be, folks, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to give up something. To give up some, or rather, let me, let, me, let me rephrase. You have to be willing to give up some things to be a good mother. Some things you just simply have to be willing to give up. One of the things that I've always, uh, I've thought some, sometimes in order to get where we need to be with God, we all have dreams, we have goals. I believe there comes a time, and they can be respectable goals, something that are, is godly, if you would, something that we really want uh, for the kingdom of God. But there is, there is times when God asks us to give up those goals, to give up those dreams. And if we're willing to give them up and we can step away from them, then we find out that the very thing that we wanted, God will give you. It's a, it's a willingness to go the direction that God wants you to go, to give up the things you think that you're supposed to have. When you're willing to give that up, I've seen it turn right around and God give you the very thing that you, you gave up. But it's just a matter of us being willing to do that. Personal sacrifice is a, is a pivotal part of motherhood. It, and it begins by sacrificing their own bodies by carrying the child around in the room for nine months. No mother's child ought to get to, to really get over that sacrifice. You ever think about that? We should never, ever get over that sacrifice that she gave for us. Our mothers fed us, fed us, nourished, protected us with their own bodies before we even saw the light of day. I don't know anyone else who loves me enough to carry me around for nine months, do you? Think about it for yourself. But a mother's sacrifice doesn't end there. They keep on giving. They give up sleep for the midnight feedings. They give up personal goals to help their children achieve their goals. Ask yourself how many times you, you got a new outfit and mom wore the same old clothes. Or how many times she gave you the last helping at supper. We honor moms for all the giving they do. They remind us of, of God who is sacrificial in giving. He gave his only begotten son for a world of wayward children. That's what he did. That kind of love should not go unnoticed and unappreciated. We need to we need to be willing to respond with mom with great love and appreciation because it, it, it's vital for us to do that. It's vital for us to give her the appreciation she needs. I want to end it with this here tonight, or today rather. She was just an old-fashioned mother. She did not pretend to be smart. To care for her home and her dear ones was the wish that was first in her heart. We were raised by the old-fashioned rules so sparsely employed today. And when, when we so richly deserved it, we were spanked in an old-fashioned uh, old way. A good name is far better, she'd say, than all the wealth of the nation. And truth is best any day. She believed an old-fashioned Bible. She trusted an old-fashioned prayer. 
She told us that Jesus would hear us if we'd speak anytime, anywhere. Thank God for an old-fashioned mother, for the Bible and old-fashioned prayer, for the old-fashioned faith that is looking for our Lord to appear in the air. Someone wrote, mothers hold their children's hands for a short while, but their hearts forever. God bless mothers today. God bless mothers today. Stand with me if you would. Stand with me if you would. Children are getting ready to come in right now. I'm going to have the rest of the, of the service. But I'd like for you, if you would, just to raise your hands and thank God for the blessings that he has given in your life. Thank God for your mother. Thank God for the a way that she inter, intervened, if you would, and, and got into situations sometimes that you didn't know how to get out of. Sometimes you just didn't know where to go next, and she would give you that word, that love, that hug, whatever it is. Thank God for it. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I guess you're next.